You're listening to Mornings with Kelly and Steve on Moody Radio, from the word to life. We are talking with Bill Mallory now. Uh, he is a very, you know, you've heard him on the program before when uh, Moody had published his book called Walk With Me, Simple Principles for Everyday Disciple Making. And it was such a joy. And this is such a evergreen conversation. No matter where we are and the period of history, no matter where we are in our walk with Christ, discipleship needs to be a conversation that we're having all the time. And Bill, you are an absolute pleasure to have on before, and uh, we're very, very happy to have you come back to talk about discipleship. Good morning to you, man. Well, good morning, Steve, and thanks so much for inviting me back. Of course. I always get excited to talk about this topic. Well, you know, there are some great things that uh, I really appreciated about our last conversation. And of course, as I say, you know, this is a very, very important topic. But I've been in large churches, I've been in small churches, and regardless of what it is, it seems that we have a knack for overcomplicating things, uh, completely overworking the ideas of how we approach discipleship, and we don't need to go very far to see Jesus's example that is laid out for us. And what I love is that you've got a very simple strategy and a simple framework for discipleship within the church, and I, I it's a conversation that is just vital for us to have, uh, especially as we see churches begin to plant multiple, you know, multiple campuses. How do you communicate with those people? How do you make sure that you're controlling what's happening in those campuses? Right. Systems and programs is seems to be our default mechanism. Well, they are, and I think it's, uh, you know, to be honest, Steve, it's typical of our culture as a whole, right? Just life in and of itself just gets more complicated. And from, you know, selecting a, a cell phone to buy and figuring out how to use it, you know, how complicated that can be in and of itself. And so, you know, unfortunately, the church picks up those same prevailing attitudes in our culture. And so, you know, in order to be more efficient and hopefully be more effective, we bring in procedures and processes and, you know, curriculums and programs. And along the way, a lot of times we miss the people. And I think that when we, um, you know, when we think about, you know, discipling the way Jesus did, it's realizing that it's relational and it's intentional and it's simple and it's wrapped up in the context of life. And, and so that we end up making our programs and curriculums and they can really be helpful and useful. I'm not anti program or curriculum, but sometimes we make them the ends instead of the means. Yeah. And so that, and we miss out on the relational, you know, kind of the, um, yeah, the personal side that needs to be present in those things that's representative of what Jesus did. Well, you know, the concept of what you have written and, and you know, what you're putting forth is something that comes out of a lot of your own personal experience. Uh, you've been with Navigators now for how long? Oh, gosh. Uh, that, that really dates me now, Steve. But uh, I think it's probably <laughs> 45 years now. And, and so I 
I've been involved in, you know, and with undergraduates and graduate students and faculty and the business community, community, the medical community, and now I focus with pastors and churches. So, so I've got, uh, you know, the Lord's put me in a place of uh, a diversity of experiences to try to live out and apply these principles. Well, that's where these principles ultimately come from, and you've condensed them down into this book, Walk With Me. Let's talk about those five principles. Let's, sure. Let's go through each of those uh, so that we understand how we can personally we don't need to, to be part of a, a church program. We don't need to have formality. We don't even need to have a copy of this book in our hand, but we need right. to know these principles. Right. Yes. And, uh, well, again, in the book, I talk about, you know, five simple little principles. You know, the first one is the idea that, you know, and just the very title itself of Walk With Me communicates the idea that we're coming alongside of people in the daily routine of life, we've got on most majority of walks, we have a direction, a destination we're going to. And so just the title of the book itself is meant to convey this picture of coming alongside of people with a direction being of how can we become wholehearted followers of Jesus and we're doing it together in a relational way like you would do on a walk. And so the first principle is walking heart to heart. And and that starts with, you know, our heart for God. Obviously, our love for people is an overflow of our love for God. And the other part of the heart is, uh, you know, of loving people. And uh, and it's really wrapped up in the, you know, the great commandment of uh, loving God and loving your neighbor. And that's kind of the heart of disciple-making. And then the second principle is walking simple. And, and this is not being simplistic. Uh, when we walk simple, it's trying to get to kind of the essence of things. It's giving greater clarity, and what are the things that are really important? And one of the ways we walk simple, you know, with people in disciple-making is kind of having a, a clear picture of what a disciple looks like. And if we're going to be intentional, it means that we're purposely moving people towards a New Testament picture of a disciple. And so we, we talk about what that picture could look like, and ultimately what I do in my work with churches to help a church, you know, develop that picture so when we talk about disciple-making in a church context, there's an agreement upon what that looks like. And again, it's a picture that's drawn from Scripture. It's not drawn from our preferences. It's not drawn from our experiences, but it's drawn from what the Scriptures say a disciple looks like. And but then the third principle is that we walk slow. And this one's kind of, in some ways, it's counter countercultural today because we're so wrapped up in doing things quickly, and it has to be fast, and speed is kind of, promoted as to what's important, but we realize that, you know, God kind of has his own timetable on things, and so when we walk slow with people, it means they're willing to come alongside of people and walk with them at their own pace, and sometimes that pace could be slow, and then the fourth principle is that we walk deep, and then walking deep, we're talking about building convictions in people's lives, that a conviction is, somebody has said that it's kind of the daily practice of a priority, a conviction is something that we believe in and that, we'll, and that we, we continue to practice it and to live it out. And so how do you build conviction into people's lives that moves them from simply acquiring more information to having a conviction of the heart that then translates itself into life? And then, of course, the fourth principle, excuse me, the fifth principle is the uh, idea that we walk on mission. And what intrigued me a number of years ago, you know, the classic book on disciple-making is uh, The Master Plan of Evangelism by Robert Coleman. And kind of any book you find on disciple-making, even my own, is a derivative from Coleman. But it hit me one day that the book wasn't titled The Master Plan of Disciple-Making. It's 
the master plan of evangelism. And ultimately, that disciples are to be engaged, you know, in the world around them, right, where they live, work, and play, and living on mission for Christ. And and too often, I think, in our churches that we create discipleship programs that are kind of like these uh, traffic circles or roundabouts. And I know in Columbus, we've got all of them, all kinds of them popping up. And, you know, you go around in this circle, and if you ever get stuck on the inside circle of a roundabout, you keep kind of going around and around and around. And sometimes in our churches, yeah, we create these roundabouts and we stay on these inner circles and we miss the exit ramps. You know, we keep going around and around in church activities and we miss the exit ramps to the world around us, those places where Jesus wants us to be salt and light in the context where we live, work, and play. And so being missional is always a part of being a disciple. So, yeah, kind of in a quick nutshell, that's kind of, you know, an overview of these five principles. Well, I want to... Park for a moment and talk about walking on mission, because ultimately Uh we have a mandate. We as Christians first need to be obedient to what Christ has called us to. But one of the challenges that we face are our own inadequacies, right? Uh Um, I remember, you know, as a young Christian, I would say, you know, uh, I'm just a disciple in training, you know, because I've got all these guys around me who are, you know, far in their walk, you know, in their, even in their golden years, and you look at their lives and you just go, how do I become that? I feel so inadequate. But one of the key points that you make in walking out the mission is the responsibility of telling our story and then inviting others into Jesus's story, and then we tell his story. But those inadequacies that we feel, those things that we say, I'm I'm not worthy to do this— And Mm -hmm. if we study God's Word, we see time and time again, He takes those who all say they're unworthy to do the work that He has called us to, but it's God who does it. How do we develop a trust in God working through us so that we take away that equation that I have to be perfect, I have to be educated, I have to know God's Word in and out, and I need to be above this person where they are? How do we kind of relinquish that control? Yes. Yeah. I, well, let me let me quickly address it from kind of a biblical and then a practical standpoint. From a biblical standpoint, I just think of that passage again in Matthew 28, you know, where the, you know, what we call the Great Commission passage, the 11 show up in a mountain, and it says that, uh, but some of them doubt it. And sometimes we miss that little statement there right before Jesus, you know, kind of says, go and make disciples. And, and, uh, and the text is silent as to why they doubt it. But let me suggest that, you know, that I wonder if some of their doubts was around the sense that they knew they were going to be called out on a mission, that Jesus all along had intimated that, hey, he's going to be sending them out, and they were going to go out on mission. And this is what, within a couple of weeks after his crucifixion, and, you know, where were these 12 guys? They'd all, excuse me, 11, they'd all deserted people, deserted him. And I would think they're sitting there pretty embarrassed pretty ashamed, wondering how can Jesus ever use my life after what I just did to him? And so what's he do? He tells them all authority has been given to him, and then he's sending them out, knowing that his presence is going to be with them in the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus is sending out this 11 group of guys who obviously are feeling very ashamed, very inadequate, 
look at what they had just done at the crucifixion, but he's entrusting his mission to them, telling them that he's going to empower them to do that. And so that's kind of our biblical hope. On a practical side, if you think again of this as a walk, like we're coming alongside of our friends who don't share our faith, and this is a walk, and sometimes, you know, you and I, we're on different mile markers in this walk, and so that on this walk, we might only be on mile marker two, but my friend might be on mile marker 12. And so, but I can talk with people about what we've covered up to mile marker two, and so that we don't have to be, in a sense, perfect, we don't have to know everything, but we can talk about what we've experienced up to this point in life. And so, therefore, I think that, it, 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 and again, it, it, what I'm getting at is that it uncomplicates living on mission from thinking that I'm relating from the mile marker I'm at right now. And if somebody's dealing with issues that are a mile marker five and I'm at two, well, then this is where the body of Christ comes into play. I bring them into contact with a friend who might be at mile marker five, and they can help me. And so that what it does, it communicates that evangelism is a team sport and not just simply a singles match. And so what can help me in feeling inadequate is realize the 11 felt this way and look at the promises Jesus gave them. I can feel this way, but, you know, I can minister out of what God's given me, and this is a team sport. I can bring other people in the body of Christ into this mix. It's not just simply a singles match with me and the other person. That means that I have to be the most proficient one. But if I'm a team, on a team, then I can see how others can play in this. Mm. That is important. And, you know, keeping that perspective, I would hope that that is something that is, for the person who is listening right now, that is feeling or sensing that inadequacy maybe in themselves, uh, that that would help them. You know, you give a great path for us to walk, and you lay out that in these five principles. But we know that when we try something new, we may actually not have success. We may make some yeah. missteps. We might have some failures. What do you have to say about that experience, um, about when things don't quite go the way that you want them right. or hope them to yeah. go? <laughs> right. Because well, God's he's, he's training us up as well. So yeah. what do we do? Yes. Yes. I Well, you know, the, uh, I don't want to give the Jesus answer and say, well, you got to pray, but that is part of it. And, and, uh, but I think, too, is, is looking at, uh, one, is, well, what can I learn from this experience? have to stop and say, well, okay, what's the Lord doing? What can I learn about discipling others? And also, well, with, if I would have done something differently, would that have made a difference? So I'm asking myself some questions. What can I learn about this? Secondly, is that it's the realization that, hey, God's at work in these people's lives. I can't control them. I can't manipulate them. I can't push them into growth. Uh, my uh, great competencies are not going to guarantee it. Other person grows at the rate that, in a sense, that they're choosing to grow as they submit to the Holy Spirit. And so that that's, I think, part of this idea of walking slow is that I'm waiting on seeing how God works in another person's life, and I'm coming alongside to join him in that process. And I can only move as fast as the other person is willing to surrender to the Holy Spirit to move forward. And so that, you know, I found that, you know, boy, people make decisions, and, you know, that sometimes they're good ones and they're bad ones, and, you know, and people don't show up for appointments. They, you know, a whole variety of things can happen. I've just learned over the years that, in 99% of the cases, I, I need to be careful not to take it personally, that it's not because of me, but that I'm trusting in how the Holy Spirit's at work in the other person's life 
and I want to come alongside of them at the pace at which they want to grow. And, and I think that's one of the biggest issues is that we want to hurry the pace, and it could be a very different pace than another person's has, and I just need to kind of fit into that pace. And so I would not, um, yeah, I've learned over the years, I, it's not a personal thing. It's, you know, it's just, hey, this is where they are, and I need to take them where they are. And it may be that they don't want to go any further, and that's okay because, hey, the, you know, this is the Lord's work. They belong to him. I've done my part. I'm simply a servant to accomplish his will and not to push them towards my agenda and that my sense of success is not wrapped up in what I think their spiritual step should be. And we are continuing our conversation with Bill Mowry. Uh, he has had a long-standing career with Navigators. Those are the folks also. Nav Press, if you are a member of the Mornings with Kelly and Steve book club, you perhaps might have remembered Nav Press, who partnered with us to bring us the Blessing of Humility last season when we went through Jerry Bridges' title, The Blessing of Humility. And, uh, you know, I got to say, you know, Bill, this work of yours for discipleship and training is a very, very important work, but it is the work of the church. It is the work of us as the body of Christ to do the disciple-making. And yes. when I think of that, regardless of if we are a congregation of 40 or 50 or we are a congregation of three or 4,000, it doesn't matter. I'm sure that there are some certain underpinnings that say— this is a disciple-making community. So what does, in fact, it look like to have a church sure. that is focused on disciple-making? Sure. Well, let me kind of answer that in two levels. One is that, uh, yeah, a practical level, first of all. One of the things is, because this is kind of what my ministry is, I get involved with churches and pastors and leaders and help them in building disciple-making cultures in their churches. And so the first starting point, and to me, this is the first essential mark of a disciple-making church or culture, is that the leaders, and that includes the senior or lead pastor, is engaged in discipling others. And the model of the leadership, and particularly the senior or lead pastor, is critical for disciple-making to happen in a church. And uh, one of the things that I do with pastors is to, you know, challenge them to take the disciple-making tithe. You know, just as we think about tithing 10% of our finances to the Lord, well, am I willing to tithe 10% of my time to discipling others? And so that if somebody's working a 40-hour work week, which we know no pastor does, they're thinking about, I'm setting aside four hours to disciple people, whether one-to-one or one-to-two or one-to-three. And that, uh, and if they can't do 10%, hey, well, let's start with 5%, and then we'll work our way up. And so for me, one of the essential components of a disciple-making church is that you're seeing the leadership at every level engaged in discipling people. They're setting the model. They're setting the example of what that looks like. At kind of a conceptual level, I look at five uh, elements that should be present in a disciple-making church. And one of those I touched on is that you've got purposeful leaders, that is, the leaders are modeling it. Secondly is that you've got a picture of a disciple that when you talk about discipleship in a church— there's a biblical picture or model that comes to mind. And then the third piece is that you have a disciple-making pathway. That is that, uh, you know, people see that, hey, there's a sense of sequence, you know, not in a rigid way, but, 
but boy, there's a pathway it's going to take me to how do I become mature in Christ and how do I live on mission in Christ? And then the fourth piece is that it's another P, you know, it's practitioners that are we multiplying other disciple makers? And so that again, it's not the, uh, you know, I don't like the word, uh, which we're going to touch on in a minute. Don't like the word metrics. I like to use the word progress. That's kind of the fifth P is that there are some progress markers to help us identify how God's at work. And one of those progress markers is not so much the implementation of new programs, but the implementation of more practitioners, you know, the disciple makers. Jesus called them laborers. He said the laborers are few. And so in a church, are there continuing to be a multiplication of these laborers, of disciple makers, those who are practitioners? And so we kind of work at these five components that take place in a church that this purposeful leadership and disciple-making, there's a, a clear picture and an embraced picture of what a disciple is. There's a pathway leading people to maturity and, and mission. There's a multiplication of practitioners. Every year we're seeing more disciple-makers. And then we've established some progress markers to help us celebrate the winds of the Holy Spirit. So, yeah, to answer that question in just a few minutes, uh, boy, we, we start with a key of the church leadership, particularly the senior pastor, and uh, modeling it, and then looking at these kind of five little components of a uh, purpose, picture, you know, pathway, practitioners, and then progress markers. Well, one of the things that I think of when we talk about a church culture in the body of Christ is that, number one, it's very diverse. But in that mix, we have our type A's. We've got introvert versus extrovert. It seems very simple for extroverts to evangelize because they're they're type A. They're at the front of the line. They take, you know, the the hit. They're outspoken. What about people who are more reserved? A little more a little more me and a little bit more introverted. How do we handle that? Yeah, good question, because uh, a lot of times, Steve, I'll have people say to me, well, you know, I'm an introvert. I, it, it seems like disciple-making is just for extroverts. God could never use me. And I and I think that we need to make some distinctions there that in the classic sense of introvert and extroversion, it's really describing a sense of how we process things. And so extroverts like to process things out loud with other people. And introverts tend to process things more personally. They're more reflective. It does not necessarily mean that that's how they relate to people, that they have an in, that an introvert has somehow an inability to relate to people. It simply means I kind of process things just a little bit differently. And so that what I found, and, and I'm an introvert, you know, that, uh, hey, I'm an introvert in a very extroverted job. And, um, but that it means that, again, that we, we work from how God has made us. Like, for example, uh, for a number of years, I was on staff at our church, and my responsibility was in evangelism. And so every month, we highlighted a story on evangelism. And I deliberately chose people, <laughs> as I, you know, you ears to the ground, listen to what's going on out there, because I was trusting God for people who were not known as, you know, because in any, in any congregation, there's usually some people who are the extroverts. We know they're the evangelists. And they're the ones always having these wild conversations and experiences. And, boy, it just seems like I never have those. But I have other smaller experiences. And so one of the things I worked on, every month we'd have a story, and I would deliberately pick people who were not known to be gifted in evangelists or were necessarily the classic extroverts that engages with people. Because I wanted to highlight that, 
hey, no matter where you are, particularly if you tend to be a little more quieter, feel a little more reserved, that God can use you right there. Then, in other words, that the obligation to love my neighbor is something that all of us have to embrace. And that, but we may do that in a different way. And while an extrovert could have a neighborhood party, the introvert might be just getting to know the neighbor next door to him or her. And that's just as important as having the party. And so I think that in dealing with this question of introversion and extroversion, say, one is seeing that um, the differences between the two does not necessarily relate to my ability to make or to keep friends. It's really about processing life. Secondly, is that as an introvert, and that's why we talk about, you know, this isn't programmatic, I come alongside of people, and I think, okay, in the context of who they are, the relationships they have, kind of their approach to life, how can I help them live on mission in light of how God's designed them, not in light of how God has designed somebody else? And so that how I approach thinking about living on mission in my neighborhood might be very different from somebody else. But the issue is, is that I'm thinking about it, I'm being intentional about it, and I'm moving out in ways that fits the way that God has designed me. And so again, that when we talk about relational disciple-making, we're coming alongside of people, helping them to live out the mission in a way that God's kind of designed them in the context he's put them in, not the context of somebody else, or not that I have to live up to the design of somebody else. And so those are just a couple of thoughts. And, and by the way, for what it's worth, that uh, on my website, thealongsider.com, under the blogs, I've, I've devoted, I think, about two or three blogs, mm. posts on writing about introverts and extroverts. So that could be something that your listeners might want to go to and just to get some further thoughts on this. Well, we are going to link to that. It's alongsider.com on our Mornings with Kelly and Steve resource page. You can find that at kellyandsteve.org. But we can also direct link you through our Facebook page at Mornings with Kelly and Steve to the Alongsider is where you're going to find this information. And that's at alongsider.com where you've got some great resources some training that's available, testimonials about the effectiveness of that, as well as links to a lot of other areas of ministry. And, you know, Bill, this is just a really important conversation to have, and I'm sure that we can explore this in each of these different avenues, these five, um, you know, that you have laid out, heart-to-heart ways that we can do that ministry, keeping things simple, not overcomplicating things, um, not rushing, you know, although you made point, you know, that we want to see progress markers, and that's how we kind of track how well and effective something may be, but we shouldn't rush God's work, and we should go, of course, and this ties back to, am I introverted? Am I extroverted? You know, uh, my own pace, how am I built as made in the image of God to be effective for the Lord? And that may be that I disciple one person for three years and, you know, have that cup of coffee once a week, or perhaps I'm, I'm doing that with multiple relationships, but we do what is germane to us that God has built into us. And then going deep with people, and living this out missionally, making it a part of our lifestyle. That's an important thing. And we can explore on each of those. We could do five weeks on all of this stuff. 
But it is, it's important conversations. And I, I've got to acknowledge and just say thank you for taking as much time as you did with me today to really work this through because it is um, a very, very important subject that we need to have more conversation about. Well, thanks, Steve. I appreciate the opportunity to do it. And sometimes in conversations like this, when you have limited limited time available, you hope that you've shared some things. On the one hand, it's a subject that's very simple. But on the other hand, yeah, we, we can expand it to all kinds of different levels depending on where people are, where a church is. And I think that's always the important thing is we just got our starts where we are. And so it is as we come alongside of people, we start where they are, not where we'd like them to be. Same thing in church life. We start where we are, not where we'd like it to be, but kind of starting where we are, then how can we begin to take little steps to move forward? Yeah. And that's the thing I encourage churches is that, well, you can buy into a program, and maybe after a year there's a whole lot that's happened. And but then generally, then you start thinking about where to find another program. And <laughs> yeah. but to realize that disciple making is kind of this one step at a time, and that's how it's lived out in a church. And we're looking at you know it takes anywhere from three to five years to change a culture, to build a culture in a church, and one year is not going to do it. And so yeah. this is a process of building in people's lives, building in the life of the congregation, and building into the lives of the leaders over time to trust God to make these kind of changes in a, in a congregation to become a disciple-making church. Well, I tell you, Bill, for those who are listening, you know, and the church communities that are around us here across central Indiana, um, would you then close us out in prayer for disciple-making? Sure. sure, yes, I'd be glad to. Thank, Thank you. you. Father, uh, we uh, we are grateful to you just to be able to talk about this subject and that uh, there is a growing interest in your body about the importance of making disciples, and that's exciting to see. And, Father, help us in, you know, to kind of keep this simple, to keep it in a way that's relational, that's intentional, that's focused on your scriptures, that looks to the model of Jesus for how to invest in people's lives. Father, we know that no matter what community you're in, as Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. There is a big harvest out there, Father, and we want to pray for more laborers. Right there in Indianapolis, in Indiana, Father, you'd raise up laborers from the ministries of churches, men and women who are mature in Christ and men and women who are living on mission for Christ. And Father, you'd send them out into every kind of corner of their community, right, where they live, work, and play to live on mission for yourself. We pray that would happen in Indianapolis and then in Indiana, and Father, just spread throughout from there. So we thank you for the privilege of being involved with your great commission and for the privilege of serving you, and we commit this to you in your name. Amen. You're listening to Mornings with Kelly and Steve on Moody Radio, from the word to life.